Father, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide. And above everything, we pray that Jesus Christ would be our chief concern. Even so, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, before we open up the scriptures, since it's been... Excuse me, a couple of weeks since I've been here, I just want to remind us what we've been talking about. We've been making the distinction between law and grace, talking a lot about that. And we've been saying that, the, that grace is what undergirds the gospel, right? The gospel is founded upon grace, and grace is, is that we have received a gift that we do not deserve. God has chosen to save us through, this, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be called sons and daughters of God through no merit of our own, through nothing that we have done, but simply through his grace and by faith. This is how we are saved. This is the gospel. And this is the gospel that we proclaim, but this is the gospel also that was handed down to us from Paul. Paul preached this gospel to the Galatians. Now the Galatians, the letter that we're studying, is a letter that was written to a number of churches. So it's not just one church, it's a bunch of churches in the province of Galatia. And these churches are are a mixed bag. They're comprised of some Jewish converts, some Jewish people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're comprised of Gentiles. And in the early church, in the early years of the church, there was a debate about whether or not it was necessary for Gentiles to become Jewish in order to be considered true followers of Jesus. And Paul has argued time and time again that it is not a requirement for them to become Jewish. And in particular, this conversation is centered around circumcision. Paul has said that circumcision has not a requirement for Christians because circumcision is a sign of the old covenant that was founded upon the law, but now in Jesus we are under the new covenant in grace. So Paul preached this gospel to the Galatian churches, and they received this gospel. But then after Paul left on his missionary journey and went on to the next area, there were some Jewish people, or not, I shouldn't say, they were, yeah, they were Judaizers, so they came into these churches and said, no, 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 you can follow Jesus, that's fine, but you still have to become Jewish. And they began to lead the, the Galatians astray. Two weeks ago, we saw that they not only, not only led the Galatians astray, but when Peter was in Antioch, he led, they led Peter astray. Peter, who had this amazing experience where he had a vision from heaven, he heard the Lord say, do not call anything that I have made unclean. With this Peter who then was led to Cornelius' house, who saw the Holy Spirit descend and then baptized Peter, and from that, or baptized Cornelius, and then from that point on, Peter began to eat with Gentiles. Even Peter was led astray when he was pressured by these folks to no longer eat with uncircumcised Gentiles. When Paul heard that Peter had separated himself from the Gentile, he confronted him. And this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Now, I say all of this to remind ourselves of what's the context we're going to now jump into Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21, which is a central passage in Christianity. 
One of the reasons that it's central is because it's the first time that Paul uses the word justified, and we're going to talk about that term in just a little bit here. But because of that, because it, talks, it uses this term that's become so central to Christianity, this passage gets truncated, right? We've got these verses that weren't in the original text, but which get used all the time, Galatians 15 to 21, 15 to 21. You'll see that everywhere. What's interesting, though, is that this passage, 15 to 21, is still in the context of Peter and Paul's conversation about separating themselves from, as Jewish people, separating themselves from Gentiles. So this really important passage is actually a part of a larger, or it's a part of a larger conversation. So I'm going I'm I'm to pull all of that apart and it'll make sense in just a little bit. But let's get to the passage. Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 15. We, who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Now, I want to stop right here because Paul is actually doing a little rhetorical jiu-jitsu on Peter. He says, we, we who are Jews by birth, right? So Jews, remember who the Jews are, the people of the covenant. These were people who were chosen, a people who were elected by God, a people who had received the law from God, and a people because they had the law knew right from wrong and sought to keep and sought to be righteous, be good by keeping the law. Right? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, because who are the Gentiles? Were they the people who don't have the covenant? They were the people who were not chosen, the people who are not elect. They were the people who, because they didn't have the law, didn't know right from wrong, and because they didn't know right from wrong, like just inherently always did wrong. They are the sinful people, right? So there's Jewish people, and then there's sinful people. And Paul says, hey, hey, Peter, you and I, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. He's like, pulling him in just a little bit. But he's doing it kind of sarcastically, as you'll see. He's going to flip the script on him. All right? So he's, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ And not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So Paul says, We who are Jews by birth, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. Now, there's a lot going on in that passage alone, so we, we're going we're gonna to pull it apart. 
Let's start with this idea of justified. It's a word that I talked about earlier. It's the word I, this is the first time that Paul says this word in any of his letters. And, and, and it's come to be a central idea within Christianity for a number of reasons, all of which are good. When we think of the word justified, it helps to think of a courtroom. All right? So we're in the courtroom. The judge is up in front of us. We stand there as someone brought in to determine whether or not we are guilty of a crime. We stand up before the judge. If the judge determines that we are guilty of the crime, then we are condemned. Right? But if the judge determines that we are innocent of the crime, then we're justified. We're set free. We're able to to walk out of the courtroom with our shoulders back and our head up high because we have been declared righteous. Yeah. This is the picture, justified. Now, as this term has been talked about within Christian circles and Christian theology over the thousands of years, it's been talked about in terms of our salvation, right? We are Because of the cross of Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross and and died on the cross in our stead, his blood as the sacrifice for our sins, atoning for the wrongs that we have done, we then are now acceptable to God. And in becoming acceptable to God, we become righteous. And in becoming righteous, we're now justified, right? God accepts us in Christ, and in Christ, we then are justified. What Christianity is not is that we become righteous, we do good things, we, we obey the law perfectly, then God accepts us. No, no, no. First God accepts us. First grace. Always grace first. We are accepted. And in our acceptance, we are declared justified. That's the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying to Peter. We know that the works of the law are not what justify a person, but rather it's faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, most readings of this passage will just continue to dive in and circle around this one idea. And that's good and that's right. And that's how this passage is often used. But what I want to do this morning is a little bit different. What I want to do is pull it back into that broader context of the whole conversation that Paul and Peter are having. Because Paul isn't making this this theological argument about justification and about the law and the works of the law and what it does and what it doesn't do out of the blue. He's doing it in the midst of a very real situation. A situation in which Peter is separating himself from his Gentile Christian brothers. Right? That's this whole context. And so the question then is, What in the world does justification have to do with Jews and Gentiles not eating together? If if that's why Paul, if, if that's why this whole conversation is happening, Paul's confronting Peter, why does he slip into this conversation around how we're justified and by faith and works of the law? It seems a bit heavy handed, doesn't it? Yeah, but let's think about what justification and salvation are. Let's, let's see them in the broader context. 
Because justification is about salvation, but it's also about so much more. Because salvation isn't just about when I die, I'll be with God forever. Salvation isn't just about when my sins are forgiven. Salvation is in my sins being forgiven, I am adopted as God's son or God's daughter and counted as a member of God's family. Salvation is to be welcomed into the new covenant. Salvation is to become a citizen of of heaven. Salvation is to be counted among one of God's people. And all of this language reveals to us that part of salvation, part of the central tenet of salvation, is to be counted as as one who belongs to a particular community. When you are saved, you become a member of a community of Jesus followers. A community that declares that Jesus is the Messiah that God sent. A community that says that Jesus is Lord and no other. It's a community that says there's, only, there's one community in Christ. There's one church in Christ. But what began to happen in Galatia, what we saw a couple of weeks ago, what began to happen? Well, we almost had two churches, right? We had the Jewish church, and then we had the Gentile church. And what separated these two churches? The works of the law. Circumcision. Now, when Paul used the works of the law in this case, he's referring to something very specific. But to get to what he meant, we've got to... We've got to remind ourselves a little bit about the law and how it came to be and what exactly it is. So the Jewish people believed that God had graciously given them the law along with the covenant. So when God said, I will be your God and you will be my people and he established a covenant with them forever, he gave them the law. And the law was a sign of that covenant. It was, in a sense, a kind of grace to the Jewish people. That it, and it was a grace in the sense that if they adhered to the law, then they knew that they belonged to God's community, that they belonged to be counted among God's people, right? How do you know that you're among God's people? Do you keep the law? But the law also helped to distinguish them as a people from other peoples, There were certain aspects to the law that if you were going to keep the law would naturally set you apart. Things like the food laws, the dietary restrictions, the celebration of the festivals, the the Sabbath keeping, circumcision. This separated you, distinguished you, set you apart from other people. And over time, these visible markers became very, very important to the Jewish people. Those laws that were visibly the ones that set them apart from others became some of the most important laws. That a Jew, If you were a good Jew, those were the laws that you had to keep. And so insisting on them was not just about like, you want to be a good Torah-observing Jew so that when you die, you would one day rise again from the dead. It was also so that there was a clear boundary marker between who is Jewish and who is not. And when the law begins to function in that distinguishing manner, when it begins to be like you're using it to set yourself apart from other people, then then you begin to pursue it for all the wrong reasons. And you lose 
the spirit of the law, for the letter of the law. And the moment you begin to follow for the letter of the law, the, your ability to fulfill the law is completely lost. This is the story of the Good Samaritan, right? A man is beaten and left for dead alongside the road, and along come a priest, and along come a Levite. And they pass by on the other side of the road. And they don't pass by because they're callous. They don't pass by because they don't care. They pass by because, well, if a priest and a Levite were to touch a dead man, then according to the law, they're now ceremonially unclean. They can't do this according to the law. The law forbids such things. And so they, in the seeking to be justified by the law, fail to fulfill the law to love their neighbor as themselves. The very law they sought to be justified by was now the law that was condemning them. And this is how the law works. The law is the standard that God sets up for his people and says, this is what you need to do. This is how you ought to live, while at the same time being the thing that reveals that we can't keep it. And so Paul says to Peter, you know this. You know that you can't be justified by the law. You know that no one can keep the law except Jesus. And you know that it's simply going to reveal that everyone falls short of the standard. Now this argument by Paul does something very interesting because how does he start out? He starts out by saying, we who are Jews by birth and not by sinful Gentiles. Right? We who are Jews by birth, but we're not sinful Gentiles. Now he's saying, wait, wait, wait. Even we Jews who have the law fail to keep the law. We will, we will be sinners. We have to stop seeing ourselves as separate from the Gentiles, but we actually have to see ourselves as sinful, just like those Gentiles who we've been separating ourselves from and labeling as sinful. We, we can't fulfill the law any better than them. The only thing that justifies us in the eyes of God is faith in Jesus. And why? Why does faith in Jesus justify us? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. See, the law of God was never meant to not be fulfilled. The law of God was fulfilled. The law of God was fulfilled in Christ. What did Jesus himself say? I have not come to abolish the law, but to... Wait, are you all as sick as me? <laughs> Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus, as Israel's Messiah, is the true fulfillment of the law that the Israelite people were trying to keep. And because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, he is the new definition of who is in and who is out. And those who are in, those who keep the law, are those who put their faith in the one who fulfilled the law. The Messiah. Jesus. We die to the law. But through faith in Jesus, we live in fulfillment of the law. We're not justified by the law, but we're justified through Jesus who fulfilled the law. You, 
I mean, maybe I'm, I'm a theological nerd, so I'm kind of really excited about this. I think that this is kind of one of these things where as soon as you begin to wrap your mind around it, it's, it's huge. Jesus fulfilled the law. Like for so much of my life, I thought like, okay, there's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. I'm not 100% sure how they relate. I know there's like all these old laws in the New Te- Old Testament. Some of them we keep, some of them we don't. It's really hard to figure out which ones are which. Like is God throwing out some of them? And No, 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 no. None of them are thrown out. They've all been fulfilled. They've all been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. This is why grace can abound. Grace abounds because in Christ, we've been set free. The law's been filled, fulfilled, which has all kinds of implications. I'll just, I'll just give you a couple of them. Number one, when you put your faith in Jesus and declare him Lord of your life, you are justified and counted among God's people. You stand in the courtroom of God. God says, not guilty. And you walk out, shoulders back, head high, confident. Not because of your own, not because of the boasting, but because Christ saved you, loved you, deemed you worth dying for, and welcomes you in as an older brother. He says, come on in. He is the good older brother who welcomes us home. You are a citizen of God's kingdom. You are a member of his family. You belong to his community. You are justified. Thank you, one person. (laughs) Second, you are set free from the law because the law has been fulfilled. I want you, I'm 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 gonna harp on this one a little bit. You are set free from the law. I, I, I don't know that we always hear that because our natural proclivity is to go towards the law. You are set free from the law. So when those voices of condemnation creep into your head, when you begin to think that God won't hear your prayer because you've sinned, because of that thing you did in your youth, because of, because of that relationship that you broke, because of that secret that you're keeping? Like when those voices say, God won't listen to your prayer because of that, then you've slipped back into thinking that you're under the law and that your standing with God is determined by whether or not you keep the law. You are no longer under the law. Your standing with God is not determined by the law. Your standing with God is determined by Jesus. You've been justified because Jesus kept the law. He fulfilled it. And God will hear your prayers. No matter what you've done, no matter how long it's been prayed, or how long it's been since you've prayed, no matter what secrets you're keeping, God will will hear your prayer. You're no longer under the law. So stop making bargains with God. Right? God, if you get me from this situation, then I'm going to live for you. Well, let's just stop here for a minute. One, I know you'll make some really good efforts and you might even change some stuff, but you won't really live for him because you're going to fail at some point, right? And you've already missed the point. 
The point isn't that you live for God. The point is that when you hold on to faith in Jesus, the life you live in the body is no longer the life you live, but it is Christ who lives in you. It's no longer you who live, it's Christ who lives. You're no longer under the law. You've been set free. When you come to the end of your life and you begin to reflect on how you've on the life that you've lived, right? You begin to think about what's next. Don't say, well, I think I've lived, I think I've been a good person. That has nothing to do with it. Even if you were a good person, you didn't fulfill the law, Jesus did. That's your hope That's your salvation. That's good news because you've been set free. You've been liberated from all of that. That's grace. Grace is that we have been accepted by no merit of ours. Nothing we did to deserve it. That even the most, the the biggest scoundrel we could imagine is going to be welcomed in to the kingdom of God. The person who would say, no, 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 that person will never be there. Well, if they're in Christ, they're going to be there. Right? This is the gospel. And I know some people get a little bit anxious about this and be like, hey, I I hear grace and all of that sort of stuff, but we still want to make sure that we get the law because we don't want to give permission to sin. Listen, nobody's ever asking for permission to sin. Right? So while we don't want to go like, yeah, go ahead, do whatever you want. Like, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is grace. Grace abounds. Grace is the, is the gospel. Grace, grace, grace. And I don't think we're ever going to plumb the depths of that. I don't think we're ever going to figure out fully what that means. Like, part of the mystery, like, not just the mystery of the incarnation and the mystery of the Trinity, part of it is just the mystery of grace itself. So Rest. You're part of a new community. You belong to a group of people. And we're, we'll talk about it in a few months when Paul takes his argument even further. He says there's no more Jew and there's no more Gentile and there's no more male and there's no more female. I mean, what he's just simply saying is like everything equalizes. Because we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, well, we're actually all sinful. And in Christ, we all have an equal place around the table. It's grace. It's grace. You're set free from the law. This is the good news and this is the gospel that we continue to proclaim. We will always proclaim. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the the gospel that has set us free from the law. And we give you thanks for Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the law, who is the one who has justified us. And for that gift, may we offer you our lives as worship. All of who we are, all that we have, for as long as we have here. And may we live as members of that new covenant May grace abound from us. For the grace that we have received may it be given away. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.